Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. Today we're going to London to speak with Paul Sheedy. Now, Paul is a personal friend of mine and also a fellow Irish native. He's the founder and CEO of Unify, who specialize in the IoT and RFID space. And I'm going to ask Paul in a moment to explain a bit more about this. What's particularly interesting is that uh, Unify has developed a contactless door entry system that can help limit the spread of coronavirus as offices and other buildings reopen. So I thought this would be interesting to learn more about this subject and how Paul is using his software to help in the current crisis. Also, it would be good to learn more about his experience as an entrepreneur. Um, he's worked in a few different companies now, or, in, or should I say founded a few different companies. And also, he's very experienced in China. So I'm going to ask him, you know, why China? Why would you enter the Chinese market? And maybe get some lessons learned. So welcome to the show, Paul. It's a pleasure, Ken. Great to see you again, as always. As always, and thank you for coming on the show. Cool. We all, I always start. Could you just tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So I guess I'm one of those, uh, what they call serial entrepreneurs, who is un- unemployable, probably. Is it? <laughs> I've got one of these brains that thinks in a different way. So I, I come up with ideas, and then it's just obsessively doing whatever I can in life to make sure I build it and make it happen. So um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not your your typical sort of employee in that, in that sense. I, I'm very focused on how we deliver new, new and exciting technology and make it happen. And I guess one of my core skills has been able to sort of mesh together the skill sets, the technologies, the different bits, and then just absolutely make sure we build it and, and deploy it. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of experience in, in setting up a number of companies now. We've uh, sort of uniquely, we, I guess, because you're pushing to the deep end at the start, we, we've internationalized all those businesses before. So the last company was in 14 countries already this year and last year we opened up in five countries uh, we unified amazing and, um so i don't have my sort of brexit panic button running too, <laughs> too heavily um, we, we see we have seen in the past and we see in the future really the growth happening in in many of these economies that people are not even looking at and as i try to explain to everybody you're born with one lucky thing and if you're irish or uk you speak the international language fluently and you know that is the the best thing, quite frankly, you know, you can yeah. go anywhere in the world and it, that you're on that, you're on that signature, that, that same hymn sheet. And, um, you know, people, I don't think people realize just how lucky we are to be speaking fluently the language that is actually yes. everywhere. Yeah, so true. So true. So tell us a bit, I mean, just for our listeners, I mean, IoT, RFID, what is this exactly? So we, in my last company, I'll give you sort of a bit of history, how, okay. how I came around this. So I went back to university quite late to when I realized it was a gap that I was definitely missing. I want to fill that in. So I studied engineering product design. You know, I knew the whole design side, but it was the engineering, the mass manufacturing and all the rest. I really didn't have a full clue on. Okay. And I was fortunate that I, well, I, I fortunate that I, I did some favors for people and freebie work. And that led to just a myriad of things happening, which eventually ended, ended up developing products for people like British American Racing, Pepsi-Cola, and DAB radio before it even left university, you know, just because I was 
working full-time, going to university full-time, and plus every opportunity that came my way, whether I was getting paid a dime or not, I took on. And I say to people all the time, you know, if you want to really excel ahead as, as a young person, go and every favor, every opportunity there is out there, take it on and run with it because you never know. If you really impress somebody and you're not getting even paid for it, yeah. they're going to stand by you in years to come and say, oh, that guy did X, Y, Z. It doesn't, it never, never yeah. offends you. You don't have to earn the big bucks when you're young. So where I went to, I then started developing things like DAB Radio. We then went on to, for a long story short, we ran a data analysis company, look, analyzing the loyalty car transaction data for major retailers. So people like Super Value in Ireland was one of our clients. In fact, our last client mm-hmm. I signed up. But we're in all over America, all over Europe, right through to places like Ukraine, Russia, Thailand, looking after all the biggest retailers. Wow. But what we realized in IoT, you've got to understand people. And a lot of IoT companies come with fantastic new solutions and, and devices, and they don't think about the actual person using it. So we, yeah. these major retailers really got extremely focused on what they had to do based on the loyalty card transaction data, which told them who are each one of my clients. They segmented them up, and that's what we did as a company. We segmented, we analyzed each of those segments in detail, and then we could engage way better. Look at pricing, promote, promotion policies, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, right? But what you couldn't do was try and get a middle-aged housewife in Cork or Yorkshire or the back end of Russia or Thailand or anywhere else to go and download an app, turn nice. on Bluetooth, sign into Wi-Fi to get offers as she walked into that store. Mm. It just wasn't going to happen. And, and this is where I find a lot of people in technology just don't look, especially the, the younger generation come along. I'm sorry for being a bit, you know, whatever, but okay. you've got to ask yourself, where are these organizations making money? And retailers are making money from middle-aged housewives. Mm-hmm. It's not the next face of Apple, right? They are the ones who are married. You know, the, the big baskets are because they're married with children. They go there every week for years and year out. They haven't got the motivation to download an app or do any of this stuff. Yeah. So what we decided to do is embed the technology inside the loyalty card, detect you at the entrance to that store. And because okay. we know what you're going to buy, because we yeah. know what the next best offer is, we can communicate to any mobile phone without an app running. And that's where we differentiate. So what's happened right. since, to be very frank, is the property sector got involved got more, far more attractive to us, quite frankly. And we now embed it all into, into your ID card, your access card to get into a building, which now brings us on to the next piece, which is COVID. So we had actually, like a lot of companies, you're asked to do some specialist work for companies. So some of the, these major, major financial institutions have asked us to build very specific things for them based on the new architecture of their office that they were about to open. Okay. And that meant we, ha- we had to do what we called virtual doors. We'd build virtual doors, which were... You can walk through this building as you want because it's architecturally the best you can imagine. But the security guys need to know, well, who is it that's walking that way? And of course, face recognition doesn't really actually work. There's some issues with that, which I can talk to you about later on. Okay. So what we did, we worked out that if we put our technology pointing in these specific areas, up and down stairways, you don't have to have doors and walls. You can have the sensors looking at that stairway and looking at who's walking on the fifth floor and then the sixth floor and the seventh floor and put it straight into a security system. So we call it virtual doors. Of course, now what's happened is with COVID, yeah. and people, people's big issue with COVID is how do I get people back into my office when they have to physically walk with their access card to each door, yeah. touch it, and then open the door handle. Yeah. Well, we're saying, leave the doors open, put the sensors in there, and as each person walks in and out, you have into your database a Ken coin at 15, 14 minutes past five and has walked in here. Paul has walked at that time. You know who has walked where and all the time. If you are not allowed on the 18th floor, It'll send a security alert saying, Ken Coyne has now tried to go on the 18th floor. He's been detected walking in the doors. He shouldn't actually be there. So the security systems are still actually in place as if you physically touched that door. The difference being that we're now catching all the 
people walking in, even if they hadn't touched against the door. So the tailgaters is what, what, what's referred to in, in these, these scenarios. And as you know, you've been to my office in the 39th floor of Canary yeah. Wharf. When I open the door, well, you don't touch your card either. So you, you yeah. have been very normally you know, walking straight in behind me and therefore not detected. This way, everybody gets detected. So it's actually an even more secure system, even though the doors are open. And um, Brilliant. We're now integrating with camera systems to look, have you got a temperature? Who are you? Deny you access, wow. et cetera. So lots of really cutting edge stuff. And uh, again, that's sort of linked into China. Again, I'll take on to that in, in, in a few minutes. Yeah, awesome. And what kind of, I mean, in terms of that, so that's the RFID. What kind of other user cases do you, can, is it applicable for? So we're really focused. I sort of took it on why we actually built originally yeah. for retail, which just, you know, just for a million reasons, like well, don't bore you, but e-commerce, click and collect, all the rest took all the headspace of all these guys for the last years and really this didn't appear in the radar screen as strong as it should have because the focus for the retailers was online shopping, not physical store shopping. Mm. And physical store shopping is still the vast majority of sales. But anyway, so the use cases now are really in corporate buildings. So it's, it's embedding this extra chip and extra antenna inside the access card. And as you walk into the building, only at that point are you detected by our system, which means that RFID link is Ken Coyne or Paul Sheedy is walking to this right. specific building. And from there, then you have all the, all the tools on usage, on department usage, on you know, looking at what we're, what we're trying to do for corporate clients is say to them, look, based on where you are now, look at the usage of every single floor. How is it changing? How can you manipulate your air conditioning, your lighting system, et cetera, to bring way more efficiency in? How can you, with all this extra technology, look at lowering the cost you have on, on security of FM staff? So, you know, you don't need to go and the FM staff will be alerted when something needs to happen. The security staff will be alerted when a breach of security happens. So we're all looking at, you know, the, the anomalies that happen. Not the no- normality is, is normality. But right. if I go and I take a Picasso painting from the CEO's office, well, then I can be detected taking that asset, and that asset will be detected yeah. in certain places. So you can actually bring more insight for the security teams, and they only need to react to, to the exceptions happening in the system. And then the university sector is really big for us. So we're trying to bring that in as a, another way to help the universities get back to full capacity as quick as they can by even looking at building solutions that you know, nobody, has, nobody knows where we're going to be in September. We may have COVID passwords, we may not. But it's looking at the international students coming back and what safety guards have the universities put in place right, right. down to temperature sensing cameras linked into who you are, looking at where have you been, so which department did you walk in, which lecture hall were you in, is that lecture hall being had too many pupils compared to how many it should have because of COVID restrictions. It's all there and you've been alerted when an exception happens. That sounds fantastic. I mean, I think it's a fantastic initiative and great technology. Is there any concerns with the whole, you know, Big Brother, you know, I know where that person is in a moment in time, kind of watching them? No. So we do get that a lot because, you know, even though I try and convey it as the way I do convey it, people immediately go, oh yeah, but, but, but. So look at it this way. If all the doors are going to be closed, when you touch your access card against that door, well, that means that Ken Coins access card for that particular door, that particular area of the building has been detected as if you touched it. All we're doing is we're detecting your card in exactly the same way you should be actually touching against an access door. So when you walk into a building, we're delivering, it's no different. Instead of your two, three centimeter read rate, we're actually looking at a seven, eight meter read rate. So if you're supposed to be in the lecture hall, we're just detecting that you are actually there. You know, as soon as you walk outside the perimeter of that building, it's white noise. It can't be detected. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. And as I say to people, there's a lot of RFID, particular one we're dealing with is called ultra high frequency. We develop these specific antennas because when you put an RFID tag against a human body, it pretty much goes blind. And a lot of what we developed in the very early stages with a number of universities and 
really the leading experts in RFID was how do we get around these specific issues that happen so we eliminate that interference of the body being around the UHF. But if you, for example, go into Tesco or Sainsbury's or SuperValue now, a lot of the items will have RFID on them. It's the same with clothing stores. So okay. I, could have a clo- I could have an RFID tag in the, in the, in the color of my shirt, which people like uh, Zara, M&S, and others have already. When I walk into the corporate building now that I have my RFID card, it'll be reading that card. It'll also read this tag. But that tag means nothing. It's just white noise. And as I try yeah. to explain to people, it's like having a radio here, an FM radio. Well, until you tune into that one tune you want to hear, you want to hear anything else. But of course, all the radio waves from all the other stations are still buzzing around, but you're not listening to them. So the same way with your ID card, it's only looking for the people who are in your database with that specific card, which is your access card. And it's really the same thing. You're only being detected where you should actually be. Okay. That sounds to make sense. And in terms of, because I mean, I know you're very international with the company now. Is there other countries that more advanced in this space than others? Or like the UK, is that quite advanced or is it behind the well, curve? Most of the deploy- so we're the only company in the world actually doing this type of system. And we've deployed it mainly in the UK so far and, okay. in, and in Saudi Arabia. And we're doing China next. But also we're, we've got some big projects kicking off in South Korea, Vietnam, and we're going to open up our U.S. operations on the 31st of August this year. But where we're focusing on is cities that have a lot of high-rise buildings. I mean, one of the big things which the core pieces we're trying to do is the evacuation of high-rise buildings. What that is all about is as you get out of each lift lobby in a high-rise building, we automatically mm-hmm. detect your car. So we know that you're on, so if, as you know, Ken, I'm on the yeah. 39th floor of my building. Now I can actually use a 39th floor, the 42nd floor, and the 24th floor of my building. I've got access to those three floors. Right. So it detects who's where in each building. Now, if I have a, a mobility issue, if I've got some sort of disability, where I'm not going to be walk, able to walk down 39 floors, and I can tell you it kills you. What yeah. we do, as the alarm goes off in the high-rise building, the fire brigade of, of Seoul or Korea or New York or London have exactly how many people are on the floor of that building, and at the moment, the alarm goes off. So let's just take 10 a.m. On, yeah. on a Monday morning in my building. There might be about 8,500 employees in that building, okay? Now, at 10 p.m. on a Friday night, that might be 85, okay? So it's going to be a very different scenario evacuating your building at 10 o'clock on a Friday night compared to 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. So what we're doing for a fire brigade is allowing them to see exactly how many people in the, floor, in the building. And as each person walks into each of those stairways all the way down, they're being detected on each floor as they move. You're also left with exactly where are the disabled people in that building. So the fire brigade on the way there can see is the building evacuating as fast as it could do compared to what it should be doing? And that's based on all the machine learning. I know we, call, we should call it AI, but it's machine learning, not AI. Looking at the height of the building, looking at the occupancy, looking at how many stairways, all these scenarios means that based on that equation, at that point the alarm goes off, we will be able to predict that this building, based on all that, should take an hour and 12 minutes to evacuate or 12 minutes or whatever it might be. Now, when the fire brigade get there, Minutes later, they can start seeing: is the building evacuating ahead of schedule or behind schedule? If it's behind schedule, where are the floors where we're having issues? They can also see where the people with mobility issues, so they go and need to send their men there. And what we're doing next is looking at a building that might have, say, four evacuation stairways. And we're saying, right, let's not use stairway, the yellow stairway. The yellow stairway is going to be reserved for the fire brigade. So the signage will actually bleep red and go, do not enter, do not enter, do not enter. And we'll point people to the stairway that actually has the least capacity and try and wait out the balance of how you evacuate the building. So what we're trying to do is really eliminate decision-making, really, for, for fire crews. And we, what we don't want to see ever again happen is a Grenfell, which 
you know, what's shocking about Grenfell Very is sad, it's yeah. taken six minutes to evacuate Grenfell. And yet six people minutes. still get six minutes because there wasn't that many people. And the difference between a residential building and a commercial building is you'll have far higher volume of people in a commercial building than a residential building. Now, you can look at it both ways and say, yes, you're not going to have as many ovens and all the rest. So your, your risk may be lower. I agree. But at the end of the day, when you're in a 50-story building, or the building we're actually quoting on now in, in South Korea is 105 stories. I'm sorry, oh. you, you are physically going to be trashed by the time you get down 40 or 50 stories. And it's looking at, in a worst-case scenario, in a 9-11, let's not have the New York Fire Brigade look up at a building and go, what am I going to do? Let them have the data to say, right, you know what? I'm going to send in 40 men, not 400. I'm going to send three men into this area here. Only focus there because we know these floors are empty. And if you look at 9-11, there's so many firefighters died on floors that actually were empty. And that's just, to me, it's not on. And, you know, as you know, Ken, I'm from Dublin, from Martin in particular, where when I was 11, we had 48 neighbors die in the Stardust fire because they couldn't get out of the building. And for me, I guess that scars you quite a bit. So when I, ha- when I have corporates coming back to me, giving me excuses, you know, why, no, my building's fine. I'm like, go on, do me a favor, run a full evacuation now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there are companies who have had huge issues in, in some of the global buildings who, have now, who are now building buildings that can't evacuate other than a theoretical way. And I say to everybody, you can't have a theoretical best case scenario in a perfect storm. It doesn't happen like that. Um, so, you know, we, we will bring in policy change. And maybe one of the reasons we're focused on places like Vietnam and others is that they are far more robust than even the UK is about bringing policy change in. Policy change won't happen in the UK because we're going to wait until the Grenfell inquiry is completely finished. And then we're going to have more policy. Yeah. You know, it's just when you go to other countries, people, I'm finding, people are, are looking at issues going, yeah, we're going to change that. And therefore, culturally, there's a different, different scenario how things happen. You know, we've been about building a runway in Heathrow for, I think it's 29 years now. Um, <laughs> you know, how much talking do you need to do? I mean, yeah. obviously, there's not a capacity yeah, issue yeah. right now, but there was a capacity issue. And therefore, you know, but you just think how many inquiries you have to have. And again, with Grenfell, now that's, that's, we're coming to three years. Again, the inquiry is still going on. Well, we're probably going to wait in six years for anybody even looks at legislation in the UK about high-rise buildings. To me, there's other countries that will have an issue like this and go, I need a solution. We can never have, have this yeah. happen again. And therefore, you know, I, I've learned from internationalizing my companies that, you know, different countries have different priority lists and uh, they, they'll handle things in a, in a different way. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean... Again, yeah, no, 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 no. But I was, uh, no, it's very interesting because I've, you know, I've done many fire drills with different companies over the years. They're always an absolute mess, and that's just a fire drill. Uh, no, one, no one has no clue who is left or who well, hasn't nobody left. Knows that. And, and as we move on and change the way we work, I, mean, I don't think we've ever changed the way we work as much as we have right now. I mean, I've, I would never have worked from home and put a gun to my head. <laughs> the thing is, people don't actually know. So when the alarm goes off, people don't know who are, who are in before. Like going back in the old days, like me and you were kids, you know, you, you worked in a department and there was eight or 10 or 12 of you and your manager knew who was in. There wasn't a, yeah. you know, nowadays people just be working from home or they're flying here. You don't actually know at that point exactly who's where, when, now. And, and this is where, you know, the technology comes onto its own. It, it's digitally taking that decision-making, taking that solution and going, we know who's where, this is what's happening, this person isn't moving, this fire evacuation stairway is way over capacity, this one's empty. You know, there's four disabled people and on the 18th floor, the 22nd, the 34th and the 48th. Someone needs to go and prioritize them. It's, you know, to me, this is an easy way of doing it. And, and people will often ask me, by the way, why is it not all on this? Well, it's not on this for exactly the same reasons that I came up with this solution seven years ago, eight years ago now. 
The problem with mobile phones is that the only thing that hasn't progressed is batteries. The batteries have just, as they get more, you know, don't get me wrong, the mobile phones have just got smarter and faster yeah. and more amazing than ever, except the battery technology hasn't worked them. And for some reason, we've decided to go and make them so thin we could shave yourself with them. Um, you know, and I, I don't get why we don't seriously all have a serious thing about putting another few millimeters on there and actually having something that lasts more than 14 hours or whatever it is at the moment. Yeah, that's the killer of phones. The phones should be the solution, except good luck to you if you're a major corporate, let's say a HSBC or a Deutsche Bank or a EY, whatever. Good luck trying to tell all of your staff, all two, three hundred thousand, wherever you might have the major corporation. We need, we are insisting you download an app on yeah. your personal mobile phones <laughs> and you're insisting you leave on Bluetooth and you leave on this and you never turn your phones off when you're in the office. It ain't going to happen. Work. And, you know, the unions are not going to allow you to go and do, because what you end up with then is blue dot tracking. You know exactly where you were all the time if you have that sort of Bluetooth on. We're just doing zone by zone or floor by floor. So I can't see when a GDPR or any other issue, if you're in a high-rise building, what yeah. the issue would be with knowing that I'm on the 39th floor. I can't see how that breaks anything. But in that serious scenario where we have buildings which are, you know, just we've seen what's happened in Dubai. We've seen what happened in all these other countries in, in, in London. And when they go wrong, they go seriously wrong. Yeah. And therefore, you need to have data. And a lot of the time, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just got to look at that wheel and say, right, how can I make the wheel slightly yeah. better? And how can I take a technology that's actually invented? And by the way, this is technology around for like 20 years now. When you hone it and when you look at why it won't work for a certain scenario, you then go and, you know, as, as I did, we, we brought the best brains together. We brought the best PhDs. We brought a different way of thinking. And we just developed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different antennas until we worked out, right, if we get this, if we look at this center channel issue on the frequency, we can resolve that. And that's when we worked out what was going wrong for us to work out how to make it right. And then build the systems around that, build the software solutions, the integration, the, the visualization of what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, Actually, it's, it's a good point there about, you know, you're constantly trying out and rebuilding it. I mean, what, what, what were some kind of some of the biggest mistakes you made in that journey of, you know, the technology or building out the company? How long is the webinar? <laughs> <laughs> in the, how many? Let's talk about the mistakes in the last week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Since I woke up this morning, you know, I I wouldn't be here if I if I had a fit and had a good old cry every time I made a mistake. Yeah. You have to have a vision of where you want to go, and you have to look at mistakes or failures as being a faster point to get. To, to success and i guess the more you fail the more you learn and the more you learn the quicker you can actually get to those points and now you know some of the i can't go into too much detail right. yeah, yeah. patent issues etc but where we're heading on this we know that nobody else is looking at this and, and one of our advantages is that everybody seven eight years ago including my wife my best friends all thought i should be locked up in the mental health act for even thinking about car technology when everything was going to an app yeah. but i just had that good feeling that and, and i guess i had the good feeling because you're working across 14 countries and knowing, sounds really strange what I'm going to say, middle-aged housewives better than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it meant I knew how... Very to, careful. I knew, I knew so, yeah. I'm really, oh God, I'll be... But knowing how people think and knowing that you just, you know, we're not going to get to, just because miniskirts might come in next year, we're not going to yeah. get the queen to wear a miniskirt, okay? It comes <laughs> to a certain point in life yeah. where... The way you think, the way you do things, it's difficult to change. You can change people certain age groups and, you know, teenagers are the way they are. Then you get, and then you start thinking a certain way and you become very rigid almost in, in your thinking. There's many people I know, I can name them, who, who won't even, you know, put their credit card details in, online because they're just afraid of fraud. You know, you, me and you and probably a lot of us will do that all the time every day. We've ever had a single issue ever happen to us. But you get to a certain age where you don't want to take those risks. And, what we're, and, and again, what I'm trying to say here is that 
when you decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a bet that cards are still going to be around next year. And all we have seen, we've seen no card manufacturer in the world tell me that their sales are falling off a cliff. Yeah, so from ID yeah. cards to credit cards, I mean, we've seen the big, the big explosion of people like Revolut and Monza, and people yes. have more and more cards in their pockets. Yeah. Now, I agree it should all be going to mobile phone, but it just doesn't, yeah? And the problem is, what, what people have to think about is, is the structure. So I had a call on Monday morning with, with the university sector in the UK, and a technology call with a lot of the universities. And as they were saying, it's like, you know, a lot of our structures have been there for 50 years. Car technology has been 50 years in the, in the making, from Magstripe to the whole right. lot. Try and take that entire infrastructure away and the whole legacy system be built around all that. You know, it's just too big an issue. And they all, no, don't get me wrong, they all want to move to a smartphone. Okay. But there isn't a single university, not one anywhere, that's been able to build an app that does everything. They happen to have an average of about seven different apps to do all the bits yeah. they want to have. And they're saying they just can't get this holy grail of one app that's going to do everything. And I guess you know, nobody wants to admit they, they've got no money, but as, you, as a student, let's face facts, I'm sure like most students, you, you know, you're, you're scraping by, yeah. and everything's great. And these students won't be walking around with unlimited data. They won't be walking around with all this stuff happening. Yes. You know? yeah, and yeah. you've got to look at, if you're going to do it, it has to be for 100% of people. And that's where a lot of this stuff just falls apart. It doesn't, it doesn't really sit together. Very, yeah, very interesting part. Just well, you know, so getting yeah. back to failures, the failures have meant that we then started working with so many different people that we get to see all the expertise that come along. So now I've commissioned a whole group of people to start working on the next phase of what we're doing. And we will be able to do much more zone-to-zone location where you are. But again, that only works by working on where I am already. Okay. So where we are already, we've got a base. And on the base, then we filter in more technology. So we're building a quad-core card now, which is going to have four different technologies built into one flat card. No battery at all. Everything is going to be working on radio waves and that's where you know you really do have to have expertise who can work out how a radio wave come up a wi-fi signal or a uhf signal okay. can actually power up an antenna that can power a chip that can do a function that's so fantastic. it's fairly tight yeah awesome can i just ask you about um just and i know you have a lot of experience on international markets especially china i mean especially for visitors who might be interested in moving into china why would you choose china how would you go about it i mean what are the kind of lessons you've learned in your experience i know you spent a lot of time there so. Yeah, yeah. And look, I've been going to China now for just short of 20 years. So 20 years in the 1st of September when I first stepped foot in China and <laughs> went, oh my God, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> but what I've gone on to do in China, I've developed a lot of, so I, I very, you know, going back 20 years, I was designing a lot of products and I was also then bringing a lot of European countries into China and taking their products into China, manufacturing there. So I got pushed in very, very, very quickly into the deep end in China. And You've got to understand people's cultures. So everybody's culture is very different. I found South Korea very surprising in many ways. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but very surprising in many ways. I found China equally fascinating. And it's all about really understanding how people think. You know, it's a little bit like religion. You know, you're brought up in Ireland, heavy chances you're going to be a Catholic. You're brought up in Bangladesh, you're going to be a Muslim. You're brought up in in Sri Lanka, like my wife, you're going to be Hindu or, or Buddhist, okay? And therefore, like religion, it molds you in a certain way. Again, where you're brought up in the culture around it means you, you think in a certain way. And you've got to start understanding how they look at foreigners. You know, we look in, I live in London here where it's the most cosmopolitan place in the damn yeah. world. I mean, which is a huge advantage, by the way. <laughs> but also you go to countries like China where 99.99% of the population are all Chinese. You know, you walk down the street of the foreign and people fall over backwards. I and mean, I walked down with my wife, who's Sri one time <laughs> in, in, in Shenzhen. And you know, people were walking to lampposts because a white person and a, <laughs> and a brown person, and they're actually holding hands. It was okay. just like you know, completely over, overkill. <laughs> but you've got to get to understand how they think, why they think, 
what they focus on. And, you know, you, you've got to get really good friendships and be able to find people with friendships where you can ask some awkward questions like, what upset, you know, in terms of business, what makes you tick? Yeah. How do you look at certain scenarios? You know, what's important to you when you're getting to know a customer? A lot of cultures, it's about money. Can I make money from this person quickly? And they don't really want to know about whether you got a wife and three kids and what your kids do at school. Right. Give a shit. Um, <laughs> you have to edit that shit yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. But different cultures, will, and again, other cultures want to know all about you. They want to understand who you are. Mm. They, want to, they only want to talk about business. And what I find with China is, you know, during the day, it is hard negotiation. It's, very, it's tough business. Tough. Okay. You go in the evening then, you go for drinks, and you go singing, drinking, drinking you know, crazy amounts of alcohol, doing karaoke singing. Okay. Um, and again, and you have to do, you, you're not, not going out for dinner with them, and not going drinking with them, not going to a karaoke club and singing, is not, that's what not builds exactly. those relationships up. But then the next morning, it's... Straight back to business. It, it, there's, no, there's no talk about the night before. It's like, right, business, and it's, it's hard nose. They want to know how to make money in China. Okay. And don't get me wrong, the culture is, do I need this fella or can I do it behind the backs? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's simple as that. It can be. Now, go, yeah. don't get me wrong, that is not the case all the time. But you can go into China and make it happen overnight. Now, you can buy from the Chinese in two seconds flat. Right. right? As we saw every, every cowboy going to China and trying to buy PPE. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was just hilarious. People had never stepped foot in China. Suddenly, oh, they were, coming, they were getting PPE from China. Yeah. I can tell you, there'd be so many people with burned fingers off over that one. Um, and again, True. it's not even no. Again, it's people inexperienced going to China and then think they know about it. Most people who failed in China have failed because they don't do their homework correctly, or they assume that the Chinese know what they're talking about, okay. or they'll assume that they should. You have to go into China, whatever you bring into China, whether it's you're manufacturing a new product, you have to go into absolute finite detail on everything. You have to explain no. The logo has to go on the outside, not on the inside of the face. You know, wow, okay. Don't assume anything. Don't assume anything. Be detailed, be logical, be responsive, and then you know, make sure you're on WeChat, for example. WeChat is a thing oh, WhatsApp WeChat, over yes. here, but it's, it's on steroids. It's, it's a yeah. million times better than WhatsApp. You do all your payments. So the problem I'm having now in China, and it won't be an issue now from next month, but up to now, it's been an issue in that nobody uses cash in China anymore. So you pay with WeChat Pay on everything. So it's a okay. Your great grandmother will know exactly what a, what a QR code is. The QR right. codes are run everything in China, whereas still here in this country, you know, people yeah. don't really understand what that QR code is. And trying to get a taxi or anything else, they wouldn't even take cash. Everything has to be done through the mobile. And they're, they're on yeah. a different scale. I mean, the Chinese are so far ahead of us, I don't think people realize just different league, completely right. different league. And when you travel around, you go to places like, you know, Vietnam and all these other countries. Saudi Arabia. I spend a lot of time in Saudi Arabia, so it's not like I only go to dictatorships <laughs> countries. But actually, the one thing I'll say about these countries, and you know, we, I am very critical right now of our so-called freedoms and our democracies, because quite frankly, you look at our debt rate here in the UK, it is a damn disgrace. And it's because, show me Boris Johnson standing up and saying, we know 96% of you are staying at home, but there's 4% of you taking the proverbial piss, and yeah. you 4% are causing all these people to die. They won't do it. They'll all walk in eggshells because politicians and democracies have to go and try and keep all the people happy all the time. I fool most of the people most of the time. Okay? These other countries came in hardline. And I deal a lot in Vietnam. They came in hardline on day one and they went, right, it's a virus. It's going to spread to everybody. Stop everything flat. And I think the Irish, quite frankly, did a lot better job. I mean, you yeah. did a lot better job than, than England. But some countries went in and they went very hardline. Spain yeah. did. I think France did as well in the end. And you look at the UK, you look at America, I'm sorry, we're, we are an absolute laughing stock. I have friends in China who said to me, do you not respect other people? Well, because yeah. their view is the mass is more important than the individual. The problem with this Western doctrine we have filled our heads with is that my individual rights are 
better than and more important than anybody else's. But actually, it completely goes against what society should be. You should be saying, I understand that I will spread this if I go outside. Therefore, I am going to do my bit for the community, for the mass. And what I see is just the selfishness of people and the fact that you know, the government couldn't even say here, wear a face mask. I mean, I'm sorry, this is not um, rocket science. If I can protect myself from your infection or I can protect giving you an infection, it makes sense. Yeah. And these are the cultures like uh, Vietnam. They, they, you get a cold, you wear a face mask. It's a no-brainer. But, it, but there seems to be an issue with telling people, listen, this is serious. Wear a face mask. Don't go out. Stay home means just that. It doesn't mean yeah. anything else. And quite frankly, even this go outside for now and get exercise, I was like, mm, we're, we're opening up a can of worms here. We're opening up options. Don't give them options. And you know, whether it's Turkey, I was with a delegation last night from Turkey, same situation. They are hardline. And where you have these governments who have been hardline, you control what's going on. I've gone off track again, Ken. Yeah, yeah, it's a small, but it's talk about China and entering the Chinese market. So, so <laughs> yeah, so look, at, look at how these people think. Yeah. Look at how they work. Understand their work ethic, by the way. They work six days a week, and they work. My God, right. they work. And you have got to, you know, don't start being, get up early in the morning, get up at five o'clock in the morning and show them that you're getting up and you do a meeting at five o'clock. You've got to show that you're as committed as they are, because when they go into business with you, they are committed. And get on with it. And don't let details go wrong. Be all over your details. Don't be seen as forgetting things, and that's why things fall off the loop. But they are all about commercialization. They're not there to you know, enjoy building a product with you. They're yeah. there to go and see, what are you going to build? How are you going to build it? Where are we going to go with this? Well, very interesting, Paul. Awesome. And so, tell me, what's the future hold for you? What's next? Next what's five, next? ten years? Um, so on product development, I think we know exactly where we're going on that. We've got okay. a, about a three-year... We've got a three-year roadmap of where we're going on doing things from taking the, an energy wave and turning that into a power bank, so doing what we call passive energy harvesting. We're focusing really, we've decided to focus, I think, primarily totally on card and RFID technology, so powerless or batteryless technologies okay. and focus there. And then really it's the, high, it's the corporate building sector, the high-rise buildings, the university sector. And you know, it kills me to go to bed every night and, and know I failed to bring this into, into retail. I still, this day, what, six years after I built it for retail, I know it should, it should go into retail. And, you know, I think uh, once I get a bit of headspace, maybe later next year in 2021, I'm probably going to put a little crack team together from my, my contacts in the retail sector, which are vast, and say, look, let's go for this for another three or six months. And let's go and maybe what we'll do, we'll put it in for free to a retailer and say, look, let's just see what happens. And we, I still feel that the way in which the retail sector works in terms of its, its strategy is probably just missing the point. If I can tell Ken Coyne, these are the three best offers for you right now as you walk in at 5 p.m. on a Friday or you know, 10 a.m. on a Tuesday or 4 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, knowing that all the behavior patterns, all the purchasing patterns, the, the frequencies, et cetera, and analyzing the shop that actually Ken Coyne, these are the three best offers for him. It's going to save him six euros, 12 cents. Sending him that message saying, by the way, Ken, there's these three offers are on, on today. It's going to save you six, 12, six dollars, euros, 12 cents. You're going to go, actually, I'm pro- that is, that's a line with what I want. You know, I'm not selling you baby nappies or I'm not selling, uh, selling you anything else. I'm, I'm selling you items that you should be buying. And I tell you, look, here's the best offers. And for me, I, I think the trick the retailers are missing is digitally communicating to each individual customer, digitally then seeing what the impact is, and digitally being able to tell that customer, we saved you this much week in, week out, month in, month out, quarter in, quarter out, and rolling it nonstop. Don't stop each year yeah. and reset the clock. Say to them, in the last five years, we've saved you 412 euros by giving you the right offers as you walk into our store. That is what delivers loyalty. 
And as I said, data, it's all about data, isn't it? Data. And again, whether it's high rise buildings and looking at how we bring in policy change globally so all high rise buildings and all the fire departments of all those cities don't go and put their necks in the line again. You know, I just don't see how after over the 412 firefighters died in New York, it's just ridiculous that we're still doing nothing. And by the way, nothing changes in the property sector. I'm not going to name names again, but I've had the highest people in the property sector tell me after 9 11, everyone's going to change. Of course, time goes on, things go back to normal. And people just don't even bother until the next disaster happens. And then we all talk about it again and don't do it. So we're opening up in, the, in just outside New York in late August. And that whole folks, the next six months will be working with the 25 partners we have there. People like Axe Insurance, UBS, a whole host of property development companies over there. We've got a, a partnership we, we put together. And it will be bringing this technology into, into pilot projects in New York and then trying to bring this into the policy change piece. And again, all I've got to do is say, right, we've got two high-rise buildings, one with all the inside of where people are, one with no idea. Boom, alarm goes off. You know, the fire department's going to go, sorry, guys, this has to be there. Why can we, we can't afford to be losing more buildings? We can't afford it. You know, for the amount of money this technology costs, which is negligible, it's a rounding error. It's so important on that side. And what we're trying to do with the, with the insurance companies, and this is what I need to bring, you need to bring people with you. Okay. So the insurance side, I'm trying to bring the, the likes of AXA and in China, Ping'an Group as well, which is a fascinating insurance company. We're trying to bring them on a data-led solution, saying to them, look, if you have data on where the assets are in a building, where the people are in a building, only when something goes wrong do you jump in and go, right, let's look at that data. Let's look at what happened on, on the run-up to this incident happening. And then you ha- it's not the you know, Spanish Inquisition. We know that Ken and Paul pull off some big deal on Friday night and they decide to go and drink far too much and they trap the office and they're the last yeah. people out, right? Not that we'd ever do that. Uh, <laughs> never. But, when, but on Monday morning, <laughs> never, we don't even drink. On Monday morning, when the, when the management come in, they realize, oh my God, the office is trashed. Mm. Who was last here? And they, the insurance company go, right, well, let's talk to these last two people who left four hours after they've been able to get the office. And then it's like, okay, well, obviously Ken and Paul went on a, on a lash up. Rampage. <laughs> 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 And an evacuation or an asset going missing. So if I decide to nick that Picasso, well, where was that Picasso last detected? It was on that, it was spotted in this lift lobby. Who else was in that lift lobby at that time? It then spotted on the ground floor lift lobby. Who was in that lift lobby? Boom, it's pretty obvious that Paul Sheedy's taken the Picasso. Yeah. And then it's been seen walking out the front door of the building. So all these areas have an impact. Again, it's occupancy levels. Have you over-occupied a floor of a building, in which case you've broken the fire regulations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But this to me is, is, you know, it just takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of trying to pull multiple different sectors of people you've got to work with onto the same page. And you have to give a different message to an FM person or a security uh, consultant or the insurance sector or the fire department. But you, it's holistically looking at what you need to be yeah. selling to all. And it's selling. Don't get me wrong. It's selling. I'm selling to FM. I'll tell you how to be a better FM company, how to be the most efficient FM company, because we'll tell you when a kitchen needs to be cleaned. We'll tell you when this needs to happen. We'll be able to inform your staff what they should be doing, when they should be doing it. And you take away, you know, right now, everything works on a schedule. Every two hours, do this. Every four hours, do that. Well, if we can tell you, no, you need to be doing this now. And then after that, this is what you should be doing next. You're bringing efficiencies in. Yeah, amazing, Well, Absolutely amazing. Listen, I wish you continued success into the future. Tell me, just if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get uh, in touch with Paul Sheedy? Carrier pigeons. No, no. Uh, <laughs> um, so I am free to give you my, my email address or LinkedIn or whatever else you want to yeah. see. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, my email is ps at unify, U-N-I-F-I dot I-D. And just connect me on LinkedIn, whatever you want. Um, okay. You know, and okay. I, I do say to all technology companies, think about internationalizing. 
it's easy. It's actually much easier than you think. And I think, and especially in the UK, we, we keep, I keep on saying to people, okay, you have the Department of International Trade, you've got Innovate UK, you've got, the, you've got all these other sectors. You can go and internationalize your company very, very easily. And the help is there. And I know, I know in, in Ireland, you, Innovate, uh, sorry, IDA sorry, and the Enterprise Ireland. Go and talk to them. Tell them what you're yeah. trying to do. And the UK and Ireland have got fantastic embassies around the world. And you will keep, be given a red carpet. It, it's in everybody's interest to help a company get into a new market. That's what those guys that's, are there for. That's a great point because a lot and of people don't realize that, that the embassies is another job is to encourage their countries, companies to help them into new markets, uh, advise them. And it's free service. And these guys know what it's like on the ground, or yeah. on the coalface in whatever country it is. Talk to them. They're extremely helpful. I've never had a bad word to say about any of them, quite frankly. Yeah. And a lot of what I do is work with very close. Now, my last company went to 14 countries. We never did them, never ever even contact them. This time I have. And the amount of pain they've removed from me and yeah. the amount of time they've gone, you really, this company is, is critical for you. And actually, let me introduce the XYZ and then give us advice about how we structure things. So, we don't, by the way, when you want to set up a company in China, it's complicated. And you really need to do it correctly. You can yeah, okay. really mess up by not doing every step exactly the right way. So take the advice, take all the expertise that are out there and, and, and make it happen. But just do it. Don't look at exporting as, oh, well, I'll go to England next, and then I'll go to France and Spain. It's more difficult to do business probably in France and Spain than it is to do it in Vietnam or Thailand. Right. I mean, I can tell you hand on heart, and I know Brexit thing is, is a big issue for everybody, but when we had a business in a lot of countries. Hand on my heart, I had more issues in France and Italy than I did in Thailand and Russia. Incredible. And yet, if you're doing that checklist, you'd never even consider the yeah. likes of Thailand and Russia. But they moved quicker, less bureaucracy than France, Germany, and Italy by a mile, by a country mile. Fantastic, so God, amazing insights. Be clear what you're trying to sell. Make sure your communication is crystal clear. Simplify things. Have the layers of, as I say, your elevator pitch has to be perfect. Your next paragraph has to be perfect. By the time you get down to the detail, you've already engaged them, but it's the top of the tree. It's, it's a key message has to be absolutely on there. crystal clear. And then take people through, through the detail as you need to go into IT teams, etc. But the, the big picture has to be very simply conveyed, no matter how complex your technology is. Fantastic, Paul. Listen, thank you so much for sharing that Pleasure. expertise and knowledge today. And uh, we'll talk soon. I can't wait. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye now. <laughs>